Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, Pastor Priji continues to teach from the series Thy Kingdom Come. With today's topic being on the final judgment. Stay tuned and be encouraged. Are you ready to go into the word of God? We have been um, studying from this series Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, the reason we embarked on this series is because the Lord was pushing us to just study on the second coming of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is returning. And how should we prepare? What do we need to be aware of? How should we change our lives? How, to, how do we align ourselves for His coming? But as we were studying, the Lord continued to provoke us to focus on the kingdom aspect of His coming. That He's not just coming to fulfill a prophecy. He's coming to establish a kingdom. That's why Jesus taught us to pray this prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Jesus said, you need to make this your lifestyle. Whenever you pray, you pray this. May your kingdom come soon. Not, not to delay, but to come, let it come, let it happen soon. And may your will be done here on the earth, just as it is in heaven. In other words, God has a plan for the earth. God has a plan for Bangalore. God has a plan for India. So that plan, we are preparing towards that plan, but that plan will be completed, fulfilled only when Jesus returns. And that is why Jesus taught us to pray this prayer, may your kingdom come soon. So you and I, we are preparing the city of Bangalore, we are preparing the nation of India, we are preparing our homes for the kingdom of God to come in full power. Now you and I, we already have the kingdom of God functioning in wherever we have our influence. Like in this church, this is the kingdom of God. The, 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 the Lord Jesus, he is the king in this house. In your houses, in your homes, in your marriages, in your families, in your businesses, Jesus is king. But now we have to expand that dominion to spread to the length and the breadth of our cities and our nation. And we have to pray this prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come soon. We are preparing our cities so you can just come and you can take your throne and you can rule and reign all over all the earth. Jesus also uh, declared this sermon in, in Matthew 4, 17. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. So it's not enough that we just pray. There has to be a certain lifestyle change to accommodate that kingdom. There has to be a certain change in our uh, intimacy with God in our relationships with people, in the way that we uh, host God's presence, in the way that we use the resources that God has given us, there has to be a certain change in our lives in order to accommodate the kingdom. The reason mentioned here is because the kingdom of heaven is near, you need to repent of your sins. You need to change your lives. We are going to go into this particular story that we are all familiar with, but we'll read through this story. Is that okay? This is the book of Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 onwards. Jesus is telling the story. 
Whenever Jesus tells a story, it's, it's fun to uh, receive that story and to enjoy that story. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and he lived each day in luxury. Each day, every day, there was overflow. There was a lot of luxury. His focus was on the clothes that he wore. His focus was on the fine linen. His focus was on the luxury that he was enjoying here on the earth. And he, he was uh, just, you know, living this life to the best way possible or the best way that he knew how to do that. You know this phrase, you only live once. So let's just, just do everything possible to just enjoy this life. That's how this rich man is living. And the Bible says, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Now this man named Lazarus, he was in a lot of trouble. He didn't live in luxury. He didn't have all of his needs met. The Bible says that he was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now we, we see a contrasting lifestyle. This is right outside the gate of this rich man. The rich man is enjoying his life here on earth. The rich man, he is living his, you know, life that, that is, you know, enjoying, he's liking, he's celebrating, he's buying new clothes every day. He has his purple, purple is the color of royalty. He will wear his linen, the fine linen. Whenever something is not working out, he'll throw it away, get new stuff. He is living in luxury. And on the other hand, here is a man who is having the exact opposite lifestyle, where he is dependent on the food that will fall from the rich man's table, scraps that will be thrown off of the rich man's table. Th that is his food. Whatever the rich man would waste is what this guy will eat. And he had sores because he had no protection, no covering, no clothes, nothing to, to help him. Now, the Bible says, finally, one day, the poor man died, and what happened to him? And he was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The poor man, who had sores all over his body, he died. And guess what happened to the rich man? He had so much money that he escaped death, right? No, come on, talk to me. He, his life was in so much luxury that he could somehow figure out a way not to die. No, the Bible says, the next verse, the rich man also died and was buried. Isn't this crazy? The fact that death was the equalizer in for both of them. Death was the one thing that brought the rich man and the poor man to the same table. And all through his life, Lazarus' life, he would have not necessarily had all his needs met. He would have always felt like he's 
he's, he's the lowest, he, he, he's not cared for, he's not loved enough, he's not, you know, prayed, nobody wants to pray for him, nobody wants to hang out with him. Whereas a rich man, he had a huge family. They would celebrate, they would throw parties, they would do everything possible, and yet both of them eventually had to die. And that's the reality that we have to understand. We spoke about resurrection, you know, the other week. The one thing that we, we forget when we talk about resurrection is that there is a life after resurrection. Now, everybody will have resurrection. And there is a life after resurrection. How we live our life after resurrection will be based on how we have lived our life before death. It says here, the rich man, he, was, he also died, and he was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in far distance with Lazarus at his side. So in other words, this rich man, he went to the place of dead, whereas, the, whereas Lazarus, the Bible says he was carried by the angels into the side of Abraham, to sit by his side, to be with Abraham. And, and as, as much as this guy is tormented, you know, this is, you should understand, this is a, a spiritual dimension we are talking about. It's not a physical dimension. It's a spiritual dimension. So even though it may be light years away, that place, you can still see it. You can still understand that this is what's happening. And that's what it says, that the rich man, he could see Lazarus. He recognized Lazarus because he's like, this is the same guy who was dependent on me for the scraps that would fall off my table. This is the same guy. So he recognized him. And he saw, hey, wait, 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 this is the same guy. So, so the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity on me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish. Why? Because of these flames. So you, know, you, you see why he's tormented here. He's tormented here because he is in a place of the dead. There is no comfort here. There is no help here. There is no solution. Nobody to come for his rescue here. He's all by himself. His only vision is of heaven, is of a place that is of great comfort, not to him, but to somebody else. And now he's desiring in this place of great torment, he's desiring, he's saying, I wish that Lazarus could just bring me. I, you know, I, I have given him a lot of the scraps from my table. So I'm not asking a lot. All that I'm asking is, uh, okay, re read it with me. Uh, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Can you imagine how desperate the situation is if he's asking for the, the he's not asking one glass water, one gallon water. No, he's saying the, the tip of my finger, the tip of his finger, if he can just dip it into water and just bring it for me. And, uh, and he says, because I am in great anguish because of these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember 
that during your lifetime you had everything that you wanted. And Lazarus, he had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. So what is Abraham doing? He is making him remember. Remember. In other words, this is a place where not only are you tormented, not only are you in flames, not only are you in a lot of pain and without help and comfort, this is also a place where you, you are constantly reminded of your life here on earth. You're reminded of your choices here on earth. You're reminded of the decisions that you made here on earth. You're, you're, being, you're being reminded. Abraham, he's reminding. Remember how you lived on earth. Remember your lifestyle. Remember what you did. Remember how you made your choices. And he said, besides, there is a great chasm that is separating us. Abraham is saying, it is too late. I know that you have a desire that, uh, you know, Lazarus should come to help you, but now it is too late because there is a huge chasm that is separating your, the place of the dead from the place of the living, from the place of torment to the place of comfort. There's a chasm. Yes, when you see, you feel like this is just next door, but there is a great chasm that is separating us. Then he explains and he says, no one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. No one. It's not possible. Once you go there, you've gone there. That's it. You, you cannot come back in here. Once you've come here, that's it. Now he cannot come down there. You cannot do anything to de demote himself. That's not possible. In other words... Once you, once you cross death, there is nothing that you and I can do to change our eternal destiny. We can cross over right now on this side of eternity. But once we die, once that great equalizer that is death happens to all of us, then we cannot cross sides. We cannot switch sides. On this side, if you're headed to heaven, you can switch your side to hell. On this side, if you're headed to hell, you can switch your side to heaven. But once you cross over, then there is no switching sides. It says, in the next verse, then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send Lazarus. If he cannot come here, can he, can you please send him to my father's house? Why? Because I have five brothers. And all of them, they live like me. All of them, their choices and their uh, way of, you know, uh, lifestyle and their, and their attitude, everything is like me. Now, if you could just send Lazarus back to my father's house and warn these five brothers so that they don't end up in the same place of torment. Is that a good desire? Somebody in hell is praying for their brother's salvation. Somebody in hell is interceding for their brothers and saying, hey, can you, uh, you know, I wish my brother would know this. So can you please send Lazarus? If they see Lazarus, they will remember him. See, the reason this rich man was so, um, you know, so uh, mesmerized by seeing Lazarus is because the last time that he saw Lazarus, he had sores all over his body. 
Now, he's seeing this Lazarus in a beautiful body. Now he's seeing this Lazarus not in pain anymore. Now he's seeing this Lazarus not, not hurting anymore. And then he's saying, if, if only my brothers can see this Lazarus, if only my brothers can experience this healing, can see how God can really bring them into a place of comfort, if my brothers can see that, then they will not end up in the same place I am in today. And so, and, and so he's saying, uh, please send him to my father's house, for I have, I have brothers, I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have already warned them. What your brothers can do is they can read what they wrote. How many of you enjoy reading your Bible in this season? I, I, I love reading all of your revelations in, in the talk, talk it over uh, place. Every time you share your revelations and what you're learning during your Bible reading, that's amazing. But you know what the word is also supposed to be? It's supposed to be a warning. It says, every time Moses and the prophets, God had declared Moses and the prophets, you know, when we say Moses and the prophets, this was the Bible that they had in those days. The Old Testament was the Bible that they had. Today we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? In the days of Jesus, the Bible that they had was Moses and the prophets. Or in other words, the law and the, uh, the, the declarers of the, of the law or the teachers of the law, the prophets or the men of God. And he says, hey, they can, your brothers, they can read what they have written, what is written in scripture, what is being taught from the scripture. That is all the proof that they need to change their life. But the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, that is not going to work. That is not going to happen because I read it and I ignored it. And I'm sure that my brothers would read it and they will also ignore it. So he's saying, no, Father Abraham, not possible. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. So, you know, we all have this if if attitude with God, right? If God will do this, no? Oh man, that's it. I am going to do full-time ministry from here. If God will do that, that's it. Then I will, I will, I will do a hundred percent God's will. You know, the, the thing that we don't understand is that God is not a businessman trying to make a business deal with you. He is your sovereign master. He's your sovereign king. You cannot go to God with ifs and buts. If you would do this, and if you will heal me, and if you would bless me, and if you would provide this area. No, that, that's not how it works. Surrender has to be unconditional. Surrender cannot be conditional. When you're making a business deal, any wise businessman, they'll, they'll have a contract that they will draw, draw out, and they will say, you have to provide this service in so much time, and I will pay you so and so in so much time. That's a contract. If you do this, if you don't do this, then we don't do this. If you don't pay on time, then the services will not. It's a contract. But that's not how surrender works. Surrender is, God, here is my life. Take it all. I don't care what 
happens in my life. You know, last week we were talking about the beheaded lifestyle. How many of you remember about the yeah. beheaded lifestyle? They are the ones who will be resurrected in the first resurrection. Not everybody, but the ones who live a beheaded lifestyle. The ones who say, not my will, but thine be done. I know that this is not what I wanted, but not my will. Let your will be done. This is not my, my, ulti, uh, my, my idea of, of a career, my idea of marriage. This is not my idea of church. This is not my idea of religion, but not my will, but yours be done. I, I want to live a surrendered life. Not a if and but life. Not a life that says, if you do this, then I will do this. If you would uh, pray, if you would heal me, if you would bless me, if you would provide for me. No, we cannot be a church that talks in this language of if someone is sent from the dead, then I will change my life. Then Abraham said, no, that's not possible. If they won't listen to the word of God, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. No, it will, it's not possible. The, the most convincing material that we have is God's word. It's not your healings, it's not your miracles, it's not even somebody rising from the dead. The, the most convincing thing, the one thing that has to convince you to live for God is his word, is, is his voice. If you're convinced more by seeing signs and wonders, then I'm telling you there is going to come a day when you will, not, you will not see all those signs and wonders and then your faith will weaken, then your faith will go away. But if your faith is based on God's word, then... You don't need somebody else to convince you. I mean, we, we thank God if somebody rises from the dead. We celebrate that. We use that testimony. That is amazing. But that cannot be the basis of our uh, salvation. That cannot be the basis of our faith in God. Our faith in God is because we have Moses and the prophets. We have God's word and the teachers of God's word. And, and that has to be the reason, that has to be the way to, to persuade us to follow a life that brings glory and honor to God. Amen? Amen? So the point of what I'm trying to say from this story is that there is going to come a day when all people, unless Jesus returns before that, all of us, we will die. That is, it's appointed. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, each person, read it with me, most persons, which is 100 out of 100. Anybody who can escape this? No. It says each person is destined. It's, another translation says to, is appointed. Each and every person, they, it's appointed for each person to die once. We have to. Like some people, they, they will die twice. You know, there is a second death that we will read about in scripture. But it is definitely necessary that everybody who is born on planet Earth, they have to die once. They have to, they have to die once. And it says, and after that comes judgment. After death, it, what, what is the next thing? Judgment. So, 
immediately, as soon as the as soon as Lazarus died, and as soon as the rich man died, there was a judgment given. And the judgment was, see, their seal was decided the moment they died. See, this is the thing about God. God doesn't judge us before we die. You know how we do? We are the opposite, right? We, we judge a person all through his life. When he dies, we talk good about that person. We, we criticize them, we talk bad about them, we pull them down. When they die, such a nice man. But God doesn't do that. All through your life, God keeps speaking good about you. God spe- keeps giving you more grace, more, more nourishment that is required for you to bear fruit. But once you die, then comes judgment. So when the rich men and Lazarus, when they died, there was a judgment made. And one was taken to the place of the dead, and one was carried into Abraham's arms. So there was a judgment made which, which categorized where they will spend the rest of their eternity. And that's why it says it is, it is destined for every one of us to die once. And once you die, there is going to be a judgment. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 6, we, I quoted this last time as well, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2. Paul would say, or whoever wrote Hebrews, he would say, uh, these are the foundational doctrines of the New Testament church. One of it being the resurrection from the dead, and we spoke about it last time. And another thing being eternal judgment. This judgment, when God makes this judgment, it is not temporary, it is eternal. Which means there is no there is no second chance after this judgment. Once this judgment is made, you are in this for the rest of your life. There is no going from here to there or there to here. So our choices have to be made before we die. And how many of you know that we cannot predict the hour of our death? We cannot predict when we will die. We, we, we don't know when we will die. We don't know how much time we've got left. And so our choices each day have to be lived with the awareness that after death comes judgment. And after death comes eternal judgment. After death comes a judgment that cannot be undone. The Bible says in John chapter 5 verse 26 and 27, this is Jesus who is giving us this revelation. He says, the Father... The Father God, you know the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? He says, the Father, He has life in Himself. He's the author of life. He's the creator of life. He's the one who, you know, spoke and life came out of His mouth and created the entire universe. The Father, He has life in Himself and He has granted the same life-giving power to His Son, Jesus. So Jesus is now speaking to the disciples, he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's speaking to the religious teachers of his day, and he's saying, the Father, the life-giving capacity that the Father has, now he has granted that to the Son. Now I, the Son, I can give life. I can breathe and and people can come back to life. Okay? Then he says, uh, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because 
he is the son of man. See, just like the father has the power to give life, the father also has the authority to judge. But whom did the father give that authority to? He gave it to the son, to Jesus. Now, Jesus, the, the Bible says that Jesus is now telling his, uh, his disciples, he's telling the people around him, he's saying, the authority to judge everybody has been given to me. And when he was standing trial, there was a day, there was, there was a point when somebody asked him, are you, are you really the king of the Jews? And he said, yes, I am. And you will see me coming down in, in the cloud and I, and, and I will be judging the living and the dead. He, he was very bold in confessing that fact, that he is the one who will get to have the final say, the final declaration about the, about the destiny of humanity. Our destiny is in the hands of Jesus. How we treat Jesus in our life, how we respond to Jesus in our life, that will determine our eternal destiny. I'll come to that in, in a little while. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, so whether we are in this body or away from this body, our goal is to do what? Is to please him. Who is this him? Jesus. Why the father who has authority and power, he has given that same power to give life and the authority to judge to? Jesus. So now our lives have to be lived in such a way that we please Jesus. Whether in this body or away from this body, we have to live each day of our lives saying, I, I have to somehow please Jesus. I have to somehow follow the, the teachings of Jesus, do everything possible to bring my life in alignment to the voice and the person of Jesus. Why? Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10, the following verse, he says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We must all. He is not writing this to unbelievers, mind you. Who is he writing this to? No, to the, to the Christians in the church of Corinth. Come on now. The epistles are not written to unbelievers. The epistles are not written to uh, people who don't have a revelation of God. The epistles are written to Christians. And Paul is saying, now we must live each day of our life in such a way that we please Jesus. Why? Because we must all stand before Christ to be judged. The other translations, the root translation says, we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Jesus himself. So there is going to be a judgment seat of Jesus when he returns. You know, that movement that we spoke about last time, in the twinkle of an eye, we will be transformed. See, when we think of the twinkle of an eye, we, we don't think that it is going to take that long. But what you don't know is that in the spirit realm, there is no time. In the physical realm, it will be like a twinkle of an eye. But in that, in that, in that split moment, this is going to happen a lot of things. Just like you, you see how Lazarus died and, and, uh, and the rich man died. And it was not like the Indian law system that 
called the court to order and then five, 12, 15 years later pronounced the judgment. It's, it, it, it happened in a split of a second, there was a judgment made and one was carried to Abraham's you know, bosom and another was taken to the place of the dead. And in the same way the Bible says, we will all stand before, in that twinkling of an eye, something will happen to all of us. We who are alive, we who, uh, some of us will be dead and they will be resurrected from the grave because, they, because of their faith in Jesus. And we who are alive, we will be caught up in the air, but in that twinkling of an eye, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Before we return back to the realm of time. See, this is why a lot of biblical scholars, they get confused. Because they, they say, wait, if the judgment seat of Christ has to happen, that has to take like seven years. So the church will go up and, that, and Jesus will judge the church for seven years, give them all the reward and then they will come back. What they don't understand is time exists only in this realm. In, in, he, in the heaven realm, all of this has already happened. God is not like, okay, I have to wait, yeah, you know, this is, God's not going like that. God, you know, in God's eyes, he's, he's seen it all. He is just watching a, a replay of a cricket match which is already played. He has no anxiety. God has got no problem about how the world is running today. You and I, we may be freaking out saying, oh no, this is happening. God is not freaking out because God knows everything. God is outside. He, he's not even in one point of time. He is in all points of time at the same time. You and I, we are, we are stuck in 2022. But guess what? God is in 2022 and the same God. He's in 2020 and the same God. He's in 2024. And that's how God is. That is why we don't need seven years to go up and come back. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the earth realm, those who watch Avenger movies, this will make perfect sense to you guys. <laughs> How many of you have seen Avenger Endgame? Do you, do you know that scene where uh, at the end, Captain America, he's sent back to keep the hand of Thanos? Sorry, all of this is not supposed to be in church, but I'm just, you know, I, I feel that these guys have studied some scripture somewhere. Uh, you know, this is what happens. This guy... He gets, he, he time travels to a, you know, to the 17th or 18th century and he lives his whole life and he comes back in five seconds. So when he comes back, he's old. Captain America is very old. But to the, to the ones who were there, it just took like five seconds. They just did a countdown, five, four, three, two, one, and Captain America is back. But technically, he lived his whole life in that realm where he went and he came back. And that's exactly what's going to happen to us. We will be transported out of time. We will be transported out of the physical world. And in that time, we will be judged. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We don't have to stand before the judgment seat of the Father. I'll explain that to you later. But we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What happens before the judgment seat of Christ? It says, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil that we have done in this earthly body. 
we will receive whatever we deserve, whatever has, you know, it'll be a day of settling of accounts. Any, any outstanding debt that we have, it will get cleared on that day. Anybody who is feeling, uh, you know, like you, you've been mistreated here on the earth, that you've, you've been hurt, abused here on the earth, guess what? There is going to come a day when accounts will be settled, the Bible says. And that is the day when everything will be pulled into account and you will be, you will be blessed or you will be, you will be not blessed based on how much or how you've lived here on the earth. So there is coming a day. Jesus is coming. When he comes, there is going to be judgment. Not just for the world. The Bible says in 1 Peter, judgment begins with the house of God. It doesn't begin in the world. It begins with you and me. Before he's going to judge the world, he's going to judge the church. And he'll, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil that we have done while we were still in our earthly body. Another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul will explain this. How on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Do you know that when we read about Jesus in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19, coming down the white horse rider, that his eyes were like? Sorry? Flames of fire. His eyes were like flames of fire. Now read this. From that context now, I want you to read this. But on the judgment day, his, his eyes of fire, you, you, will have to, you will have to go through the scanning machine of his eyes. He will look at you. Yeah, those of you who are taking a flight today, you know you have to, you'll be scanned at the airport. And any metallic objects that you have, you'll have to leave it behind. Some things you'll have to say, oh, I can't take this with me. You know, we've, we've traveled with some very expensive creams and lotions which we have donated to the airport police. Because we couldn't take it behind, beyond that scanner. This was too much to carry onto the next leg of our journey. And the Bible says, you and I, we will be subjected to the eyes of Jesus. That, read it with me, on the judgment day, Fire, the flaming fire from the eyes of Jesus will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. So when, when we are on this earth, your work will look magnificent. Your work will look, wow, praiseworthy. People will talk about it on Instagram. People will talk about it in their biographies. People will say, man, this, this is the, the, the man to live like. But then, that's not the criteria with which Jesus will judge us. It says his eyes will scan. And then, the, the previous verse, it says the motives behind our work, the attitude with which we did our work. The, you know, you must have done a lot of work, but if your attitude was not correct, then all of that work is in vain. Jesus said it like this. If, when you give to somebody, if you gave so that people can see it, then you have no reward. So there was no, 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 no blessing. So if your attitude was wrong when you were working, when you were serving, when you were giving, when you were worshipping, if, 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 you're, if you're doing it with a completely unbiblical, un, un, ungodly way of building, then the Bible says that 
during the, during the flame of fire scanning that will happen, your real work will show. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. So this is what it says, the next verse, verse 14. Some of the work will survive. So if your work survives that flame of fire, then the builder will receive a reward. So what are we doing here on the earth? We are building. We are building our lives. We are building God's kingdom. We are building the church. We are, we are, we are doing everything possible to build God's kingdom, God's way. And if the work survives the flame of fire, if the work survives when Jesus' scanning eyes pass through your life, then the Bible says, then you and I, we will receive a reward. Isn't that amazing? There is a reward waiting for us in the, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The, the judgment seat of the Father, that's not necessarily to reward anybody, but the judgment seat of Christ, it is to reward you according to the work that you have done while you were in your earthly body. It is all going to happen in that twinkling of an eye that we spoke about last time. All of this is going to happen. Each and every believer, each and every person who has died in Christ, that scanning machine will go through our lives and we will get a reward based on whether our work survives or not. The next verse, are you ready for this? Come on. It's a scary verse, but let's read it still, okay? But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder himself will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So in other words, all that this guy has done on the earth, traveling to nations, giving to poor people, all the work that he has done, he will, he will, it says he will experience great loss. Great loss, because all of that sacrifices went into nothing. Because now in God's eyes, this, this, this didn't count for anything. You know, in, in your eyes, Paul, that's why Paul says, Hey, you can give up your body to be burnt by fire. You can uh, actually give up all your wealth. You can do all of this. You may have the faith to, you know, take the, take the mountain from here and throw it into the water there. You may have all of this, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. So when God is going to scan your mighty works of faith and when God is going to scan your, you giving your body to be burned by fire and when God is going to scan all the sacrifices that you've made and God says, uh, ouch, nothing. I didn't see anything there. Anything worth being taken into the next leg. No, nothing. But it says the builder will be saved. Why? Because they are standing before the judgment seat of Jesus. Nobody that is standing before the judgment seat of Jesus will be condemned. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nobody will be condemned. If you made it into the twinkling of an eye, you are reaching heaven for sure. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. The builder, even if your work burns away, the builder will still be saved. But as somebody 
who barely escaped through a wall of flames. What would it be like to you if you have to go through a wall of flames? Anything left on your body? Any hair left? Any clothes left? Man, this is going to be, this is, it's not a pretty sight if you go through flames. Now, that is why we have to build wisely. That is why we have to live wisely. Uh, just, just making it into heaven is not enough. When we reach heaven, we need to have a reward that we can carry into all of eternity. We need to have a bank balance after we cross that uh, wall of fire. We need to have clothes of righteousness on us when we, when we cross that wall of fire. We need to have people who will still vouch for us when we cross that wall of fire. We need to have something for ourselves even in heaven. There is going to be social status in heaven. There is going to be rich and poor even in heaven. There is going to be no death, but there are going to be some of us who will live eternally ashamed. In heaven. Although we will not feel bad about it the way we feel here on earth, we will still be like that for all of eternity. Because once we make our choices here, it's, it's done, it's sealed. That's how we live for all of eternity. Am I talking to your spirit this morning? Am I teaching you something this morning? Because there is, the Bible says it is destined for all of us to die. And after death to be, to experience judgment. And some of us, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The others, they will stand before a completely different judgment seat. Let's, let's go to that one now. It says in John chapter 16 and verse 9. When he comes, who is he? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is now introducing us to the third person of Godhead. You remember first he said, the Father has the authority to judge which he has given to the Son. Now he's saying, but when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he will do. He will convict the world of its sin. Everybody said sin. The second job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of God's righteousness. And the third job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of the coming judgment. So it's not just to talk in tongues. It is not just to do miracles. What is the job of the Holy Spirit? He will convict the world of its sin. When you and I, when we live a life full of the Holy Spirit, it has to naturally convict people around us of their sin. Second, it has to convince them of God's righteousness. Not a righteousness that you get because you are good enough, you are pure enough, you are holy enough. No, they, it has to convince them about God's way of righteousness, which is through Jesus Christ. And third, it has to convince them about a coming judgment. Yeah, let's read the next verse. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Refuses. May we never be a church that refuses the way of God. We, may we never be a, a family, a, a, an individual that refuse to believe. How hard is it for us to believe? You know, hell is going to be made up of people that refuses God. That's why you would see the rich man, he would say, no father Abraham. 
He was a man who would refuse the ways of God, who would refuse to believe in what God had prescribed. And it says, the world's sin is not idolatry. I mean, is idolatry a sin? Yes. The world's sin is not murder, hatred, all of that. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is now available because I go to the Father. And on my way to the Father, I have to endure the cross and I will take my blood and I will take it as a peace offering between heaven and earth. And, I, and once I bring this offering to the Father, righteousness is available for you. That's why he says righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Then he says, Judgment will come. Why? Because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So our judgment, it is going to happen one day. But the ruler of this world, no? His judgment is already declared. Long time back, he's already been judged. He's, he's living on borrowed time before his judgment will be executed. You know, after the court gives the order that so-and-so person has to be hanged until death, there is a time frame. You know, in legal terms, there is a name called for that time till they are waiting for their sentence to be executed. There is a grace period. And the devil is living in that grace period. So this is what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of the coming judgment. Why is judgment coming upon the world? Because the ruler of this world is already judged. So anybody that becomes friends with these rulers, anybody that submits to these rulers will also be judged. See, the judgment that you and I face is not the judgment that he faces. His judgment is completely different. Do you want to read about it? Yes. Our judgment was to receive a reward. And even the ones that didn't receive a reward, they were still saved. They still made it alive. But let's read about the, the judgment of, of the ruler of this world. Okay? It's good. We, we have to celebrate the defeat of the Satan. You know, we have to celebrate the end, end, end point of history. We have to thank God for the, for the ruler of this world is judged. The book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 20. Do you know that sooner or later a beast will emerge? A beast, you know, I, I've shared this multiple times in the study of Revelation. Just like there is a holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a satanic trinity where you would see the devil, okay? There is Satan himself. And then you will see the beast. The beast is the antichrist. He is the counterfeit Christ, opposite of everything Jesus is. He will be born of woman. He will, he will do everything like Jesus did. He will claim to be the Messiah. He will come to the earth and he will claim to be the peacemaker, to be the prince of peace. Everything that Jesus is, he will claim to be that and he will try to prove to be that. He's the beast. He will rule the world for seven years physically. In fact, Paul says that power is already at work. 
in some time it is going to manifest soon. Okay? And then, just like we have the Holy Spirit, the satanic trinity has somebody called the false prophet. You know what's the job of the false prophet? To direct people to worship the beast. What does the Holy Spirit do to us? To direct us to worship Jesus. You know what the, what the false prophet does? He directs people to worship the beast. He is the one who does all the signs and the wonders, trying to deceive people so that they can worship them. The beast doesn't do any signs and wonders. You can read the book of Revelation. The signs and the wonders are done by the false prophet or the third person in the satanic trinity. And the purpose, the reason he does that is so he can redirect everybody to the beast. Now you want to read about these guys? Let's read it. And as we read, let's celebrate. You know, the, the, we have to keep reminding Satan of his end, yeah? It says, and the beast, he was captured, and with him, the false prophet who did all these mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped the statue. Both the beast and his false prophet... They were thrown, how? Dead? No. They were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's it. That is the end of the beast and the false prophet. They will be there for all eternity. The, the, this fiery lake of burning sulfur, it will be inaugurated by this beast. Yeah, he's the, it's not made for us. It's not made for believers. It's not made for human beings. It is made for the beast. It's made for the satanic trinity. It's not made for you and for me. The first person to go into this lake of burning sulfur is the beast. The next person to go in there is the false prophet. Now let's read in verse 20, verse 10. It says, Then the devil himself, who is the devil? Satan, Lucifer, or the, the first person of the satanic trinity, right? It says, finally, then the devil himself, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. That is the end. We know history. We know future. This is how it's going to turn out. Hell was never meant for you and for me. Hell was meant for these guys. Hell, the, the lake of fire or the lake of burning sulfur as NLT Bible calls it, that was meant for the beast, for the false prophet and for the deceiver, the serpent who walked into the Garden of Eden and deceived Adam and Eve, which was meant for them. And it says, because they were... See, these guys, they didn't have to go through a process of judgment. You know why? Because the Bible says the ruler of this world is already judged. They, their, their fate is already sealed. They, we know where they are ending up. Your fate and my fate is not sealed yet. It will be sealed when we die. But their fate is already sealed. Eternally, it is for sure that they will end up in hell. So don't you try to evangelize Lucifer. <laughs> There's no point. <laughs> you cannot win his soul. 
his his eternity is written off okay then it says in verse 11 then i saw after these three were put into the lake of fire then i saw a great white throne and now there is a one that is sitting on it and this is not jesus this is the father himself are you ready for this the bible says the earth and the sky they fled from his presence they couldn't stand in his presence anymore and they found no place to hide where will you hide from the father where can you hide from the father it's we are not talking about drug criminals or you know lords of this world we are talking about earth and heaven itself earth and heaven itself is fleeing from his presence okay then it says then i saw the dead both great and small see we are not dead at this point we are already alive when jesus came we are already alive right but this this judgment is for the dead it says then i saw the dead both great and small they were all standing before god's throne now it's easy for you know in my childhood my my biggest concern i'll tell you what was my biggest concern that this will be the most boring time in history i'll have to sit through the judgment of so many people <laughs> seriously that that was my that was my concern i'm like come on can you just fast forward to my number why 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 but now that i understand time i know that it is not going to take all eternity to judge so many guys the pe- number of people who have lived on the earth is finite and in god's eyes it's not going to take all eternity in the spirit realm there is no concept of time that is why in heaven day and night and night and day they're worshiping god crying holy 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 without getting tired there is no tiredness in this other realm it says then i saw everybody that was dead both great and small they stood before god's throne and then books plural everybody say books and then books were open multiple books one of the books it says including one of the books was the book of life this book of life was not just the book of life it is later called the lamb's book of life because the only way you can enter into this book of life is through the lamb come on are you understanding what i'm saying it says and the dead they were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books so all these books are opened up and 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 their all their works are spoken about everything that they have done they have spoken about it's you know pulled out all history is pulled out you know of how they lived here on earth and then they are judged and the bible says the next verse the sea they gave up its dead death and grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to the measure of their deeds then the bible says the next verse then death and the grave they were thrown into the lake of fire why was death and grave preserved till now because death has swallowed up some people you remember the place of the dead 
that this rich man went to. So death has swallowed some people. So those that die without Christ, they go into the place of the dead. But there is going to come a day when death will have to release these guys to the judgment seat of the Father. And after they are released, the Bible says that there are three elements that you will see there. Sea will give up its dead. Death and grave will also give up their dead. Now if you talk about sea, you will see that in the new, new heaven and new earth there is no sea. There is no beaches. There is no concept of, of land and water. God will do away with the sea. The sea was never God's original plan. Seas came to function after Noah's flood. Because now seas, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going off track, but this is from a lot of other teachings that I have spent a lot of time. What they say is, what these guys say scripturally, they prove how in the sea, they have, in the sea, under the sea, in the bottom of the earth, there are angels that are kept in chains from the days of Noah. There were angels that were doing naughty business here on the earth. And these angels, they were kept in chains. Apostle Peter mentions that, how they are, until the time is right, they have been chained, they've been kept in chain for that time. So there will come a day when the sea will give up the dead. The death and grave will also give up their dead. And once they give up their dead, once they give up everybody that they have swallowed up over the ages, all the way from Adam till the point when Jesus returns, till the point of the great judgment day, everybody will be returned. And once they are returned, it says that death and grave will be thrown into the lake of fire. Who is the first person to go in? Beast. Then the false prophet then Satan himself, then death and grave. So even till this point, there will still be death and grave. Even till this point, people will still die. Not you and me, but there will be people on the earth that we will be reigning and ruling over, and they will die. But after this point, there will be no more death. Because death will be thrown into hell. Now, it's, you know, Bible is personifying death. Just like the Bible says Satan will be thrown into hell, the Bible says death and grave will be thrown into the lake of fire. Are you ready for the next verse? It says, this lake of fire is the second death. You remember what Paul said in Hebrews, that it is appointed for man to die once. But this death, anybody that goes into the lake of fire, even if they are going alive, they are going into second death. The ones who died in the first place, they went into death, a place called the place of the dead, which where they were tormented, which was also not a pleasant place. You know where, uh, you know, this rich man, he wanted like one drop, one tip of water. That was not a pleasant place. And yet, that was a place from where he was released after a point to the judgment throne. And from here it says, the next verse, Revelation 20, verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the Lamb's book of life 
was what? Was thrown into the lake of fire. So, see, see, the judgment was not based on just one book. There were a lot of books that were opened up. But the final word was given by the book of life. The final word was given by the book of life. It says, anybody whose names was not found written, recorded in the Lamb's book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. Which means, you must have lived a happy life, you must have lived a good life, you must have lived a life that is uh, very moral, very good. But if your name did not show up in the Lamb's book of life, then you will have to eventually end up in the lake of fire. What does that say about these guys? It says in verse 27, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter into heaven, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is, this, this is a book that I cannot put your name in. This is not my book. This is the Lamb's book. You need a relationship with the Lamb to get into this book. This is a book that your church cannot give you access or membership to. This is a book that your religion, your Christianity, none of it can give you access into this book. This is not our book. This is the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says nobody whose names were not there in the Lamb's book of life were there in, were allowed to enter into heaven. Now, I know what most of you are thinking. Oh, but I'm saved. I, I, I'm, I'm cool. I, I don't think that I will, I, this is my story. But let me... Let me scare you. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. It says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, this is Jesus speaking, not one of the apostles, so you don't get the theology wrong. This is Jesus himself speaking. It says, all who are victorious, they will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life, but what will I do? But I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Why would Jesus say this? Because there was, Jesus was writing to a church that were not living a victorious life. Jesus was writing to a church that were not living the way that Jesus wanted them to live. And Jesus was about to take their names off of the book of life. And Jesus giving them a hope. Jesus is telling them, hey, if you will be victorious, this is how. These are the tips. Do this. Just follow these instructions to the end. If you will do this, then you, your name will not be erased from the book of life. So if your name is there in the book of life, doesn't mean that it will never get erased. So all those who believe that salvation, once you are saved, you will never get unsaved. Read this verse and meditate on it till it becomes a revelation to you. Because it says that if you are victorious, if, if you are victorious, only and only then will I not erase your name from the book of life. 
Not only will I not erase your name, now I'll be proud to announce in front of the Father and the angels that, that you belong to me, that you are mine. You know, there will be a declaration made when the whole world is being judged. When the whole world is being condemned, there will be a declaration made that you and I, we belong to Jesus. Jesus, the lamb will stand up and say, hey, their names are there in my book of life. They belong to me. They belong to me. They are mine. And that's, that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, hey, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Don't be happy because you have all these miracles. You know, all these disciples, they came to Jesus and Jesus just sent them on a revival dreamer's trip. You know, and when they came back, they were like sharing testimonies. This happened, that happened. You know, so many people got saved, all of this. And Jesus like, guys, don't rejoice because evil spirits are submitting to you. I'll tell you a reason to rejoice. Because your names are registered. In the Lamb's book of life. There is a name, your name. It is, it doesn't matter who acknowledges or doesn't acknowledge you here on earth. It doesn't matter who appreciates or doesn't appreciate you. All that matters is do you have your name in the Lamb's book of life? Because there is coming a judgment. Once we die, there is coming a judgment. And it's 100 out of 100. All of us will be judged. Either we'll be judged by the Son or we'll be judged by the Father. We will all be judged. But the question is, is our name in the Lamb's book of life? And that is why we should rejoice. That is why we should be happy. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Read it out loud with me. One, two, three, go. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. What have we been praying? Let your kingdom come soon and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And when he comes to set up the kingdom, the Bible says there will be two who will judge. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, both of them, they will judge. One person will judge the living and the other will judge the dead. Jesus is coming to judge the living people. The Father is the one who will judge the dead. You remember this? The dead will give up there and all the dead, they will stand before the throne. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes back to set up his kingdom. What is the urge? What is his instruction? Read verse 2. He says, preach the word of God. What was God's advice to uh, the rich man? They have Moses and the preachers of God's word. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So Paul says, Jesus is coming back to set up the kingdom. Jesus is coming to judge the father and the son. They're coming to judge the living and the dead. So this is what I will encourage you to do. Preach the word of God. You need to be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Be prepared. Be ready whether the time is favorable or not. Which means you cannot say, oh, today, today is not the right time. 
today I just fought with my wife. I, today is not the time for me to talk to God. <laughs> After everything is sorted, then I, you have to be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. You have to be prepared whether, whether people around you are, you know, being painful or not. You have to be prepared whether you have money or not. You have to be prepared in season and out of season. And the next verse, it says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Why? Because there is judgment coming. The only thing that can save you from that judgment is good teaching right now. The only thing that can save you from that judgment is somebody that will preach the word of God to you right now. Somebody that would prepare you in season and out of season. Somebody who will correct you patiently. Somebody that would rebuke you. Somebody who would encourage you. That is what is going to save you and give you the right standing in that judgment. So Paul is telling the church, and Paul is saying, now you need to do this. Now you need to preach the word, you need to be prepared, you need to correct the people around you, the people that God has entrusted into your care. You need to rebuke somebody that is going some, doing something wrong. Because you know, they, I'm telling you, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, they will come and thank you. Today they are calling you names, it's okay. But when that day comes, they will come and say thank you for doing this. When they stand before the judgment seat of the Father, they will remember your words. They will say, whoa, I, I should have listened to it that day. I should have just done this. They would, even if, your job is, is not to condemn people. Your job is not to judge people. You know, that's what we do. Oh, you're going to hell. No, that, that will happen once they die. Till the time they die, this is what we will do. We will preach the word. And we will correct people around us. We will prepare them. We will rebuke them if necessary. And we will encourage people with good teaching. Church, it's not just the job of the pastor to do good teaching. Each and every one of you, you are builders. One more time, look at your neighbor and say, you are a builder too. So how do you build? You build by preaching God's word. You build by preparing uh, whether the time is favorable or not. You build by correcting one another. You build by rebuking if necessary. You build by encouraging people with good teaching. And for that to happen, you need to learn the word of God yourself. You need to read your Bible. If you don't know good teaching, how are you going to correct others and help others with good teaching? Amen? Paul says his coming is near. The kingdom, he's coming to set up the kingdom. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. So therefore, be prepared. All eyes closed. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for our live celebration service at 11am at youtube.com slash God bless you and have a blessed week.